Welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth. I'm an intimacy coach and psychologist. I created this show to explore the erotic alphabet, to help you learn more about desire and expressing your desires, discover ways to spice up your relationship and create that sizzling relationship you've always wanted. I do this through solid science, real life stories, and interviews with an exciting variety of sex experts. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies to help you create your ideal sexual life. Make sure you join us to access even more sexual strategies on my blog, A to Z of Sex. Access our monthly newsletter with subscriber only offers at www.atozofsex.com. That's A T O Z O F S E X. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z of Sex. I'm Dr. Lori Beth, and I am your host. We are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. Just a reminder, this podcast deals with adult content, so if you don't have total privacy, you might want to put on your headphones. Well, today the letter is X, and X is for X-rated. So many things are classed as X-rated, as things that should not be seen by anyone under 18 that we've learned to really associate the term X-rated with anything to do with sex, but also with pornography. Joining me today is Angela Skirtu. She is a speaker, author, and president of St. Louis Marriage Therapy. She's a Missouri licensed marriage therapist and a nationally certified sex therapist through ASECT. Her recent book, Premarital Counseling, A Guide for Clinicians, which came out in 2016, discusses the predictive factors of relationship success, five habits for healthy relationships, and how to keep the spark in the relationship long-term. At the moment, she's writing a book called Helping Couples Overcome Infidelity, a therapist manual. This is going to be published by Routledge and should be out in 2017. She's spoken at local and national conferences, schools, businesses, radio, and YouTube, and has contributed to various blogs, including Good Therapy, Psychology Today, and The Huffington Post. During her seminars, Angela Skirtu likes to use humor, educational skills, interactive discussion in both small and large groups, and stories to convey her message about sexual and relationship health. Welcome to the show, Angela. Thank you for having me. So we came, we have this idea of X-rated things that should not be seen. How do you use that term? Uh, well, I mean... I like how you kind of mentioned that a lot of people kind of see X-rated as anything sexual. And I guess I feel like we need to be able to talk about sex a little bit more. And so um, I kind of have my own rating system in my office for when I talk to clients. And I even rated a little bit like, okay, we're going to talk PG right now. We're going to talk a little PG-13. Um, and so I, I almost kind of uh, – put content into my sessions based on a typical rating system for shows um, simply because I want people to get comfortable in my room. Mm -hmm. um, but I do want people to be able to talk about sex without it necessarily feeling pornographic or, um, I don't know, very X-rated. But I also want to make it easier for couples to be X-rated if they would like to be. Do you find um, that couples will talk around sex I mean, uh, that's my experience with, with clients who come in, even though they're coming in to work on sex, 
They don't talk, oh, yeah. they don't talk about the words. They, they they go around it. They say making love. They don't there's 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 like an effort to be PC politically correct. It's funny too cuz like I talk about sex all day every day. And so like I love the first time a couple will come into my session and they're like, "Is it okay if we say sex?" And I'm like, "Yes, you can say sex, you can say vagina, you can say penis, you can say clitoris." <laughs> oh my god, what a concept. I know, right? Of course they talk about it. In fact, that first session, sometimes they won't even tell me they're in here for sex issues. Sometimes they'll just say we're having problems, but I have to open it up and say, you know, most people come see me personally because they want to talk about sex. And then once I've invited them to talk about it, then they get a little more comfortable. But I think that's true, not only in my sessions, but in life too. I think people want to talk about sex, but they're very scared about how to do so or uncomfortable. I find it really interesting as well. I mean, I can swear like a trooper and, um, <laughs> and and will do sometimes to get people to actually confront this stuff. So like, like, what are you talking about? Are you talking about fucking? And it, it's like, oh, <laughs> they're like, woo. <laughs> actually, in my office, I've noticed that when I do cuss a little bit, uh, it really makes my clients feel very comfortable because, you know, they're like, oh, you're a human. We can talk to you now. Yeah. <laughs> but I always say you can cuss in the room, but you can't cuss at each other because I don't want people being mean to each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, I've had the experience of standing in between couples who are cussing at each other. Um, like you actually got in between them and the oh, couch yeah. or something. Actually, I think probably my favorite one of those is a couple that that used to really put each other down a lot and really swore at each other a lot. And oh. I mean that's really unacceptable behavior. It, it it takes a toll that lasts far beyond that instant mm-hmm. argument. So I had them come up with different terms to use instead of swearing. So they came up with animal names for each other. <laughs> And when they what were kind? angry, it was one of them would say, "You're being a bandicoot," and that was <laughs> the term that was chosen. Or she oh, shout, "Bandicoot, bandicoot," which is far better than calling him a fucking bastard. I love using that. And actually, I like to incorporate humor in my couples work. I found that like, so I get couples sometimes doing timeouts to work with, like, if they're getting really angry or stressed, slow it down, calm down, right? And the couples who personalize it with a word like that, or like a safe word, pineapples is one I use a lot for fun. But like, when they come up with something that makes them laugh, it's Laughter as a way of jolting you out of your anger. I think it's very beneficial for people to use that in conflict, so long as they understand what it means. So um, I've had people try to use humor before having agreed upon it outside of the argument. And then that same humor can go like sound like sarcasm or being too sardonic. And then it has an opposite effect. But if they talk about it, look, let's say barracuda or pineapples, then they can use the same term and be okay. Like they'll, they'll remember, oh, this means we're not here to just fight at each other or tell each other we're terrible people. This means, hey, this argument's getting out of hand. We need to calm down, pull back and be nice to each other again or stop until we can be. What do you find are the things that people have, when they're talking about sex, have the most difficulty talking about? You know, I think it's any time uh, things aren't going to expectation. 
is when it's really difficult. So that can mean a, a broad number of things. Like if the expectation for one person is they want to be having sex more often, mm-hmm. then that can be difficult because they're not trying to hurt their partner, but at the same time, their needs don't feel like they're being met. Um, so that's one way of not meeting expectations. But another way is even just the quality of sex. It's not all about quantity. Maybe they are having sex, but it feels like their partner is not involved or invested in it. Like they want it more than the other person does. So that's a difficult topic too, because, you know, I know plenty of people who want to have good sex and and want to try new things. And if their partner doesn't seem interested, they get kind of scared or shameful and worry about what to do next. And so I'd say it's anytime it feels like their expectation is a little bit outside of the norm that the relationship already has. Right. And people do get into patterns in relationships, don't they? They, They're quite quickly established patterns. I think one of the things I find interesting, and I wonder if you also see this, which is, I see, um, I see people of all genders and sexual orientations. And my experience is, is that couples who are not heterosexual tend to talk more before they have sex. Those who are in relationships, I'm not talking about casual things, but for those who are starting relationships, couples who are not heterosexual tend to spend more time talking before they have sex than heterosexual couples. Heterosexual couples tend to get into bed before they find out what they, they the other person likes, what they don't yeah. like. Mm-hmm. And so there's this weird phenomena six months into the relationship when things suddenly aren't as exciting as they were at the beginning, mm-hmm. in part because they've been just going along with it because everything feels good because it's the new relationship. Oh, yeah. There's all that new relationship energy in the first six months, six months, almost to two years, depending on the couple. But it is surprising to me that people will get into bed, but they won't talk about what's comfortable or uncomfortable for them. Um, I've had heterosexual couples who've been married for years and who've never talked about it. They just kind of get into bed and (laughs) one person rubs the other and it's like, okay, I guess we're doing this, Um, which is shocking because it's like, well, then how are you going to enjoy what you're doing sexually? It's very difficult to know like what is expected. Um, I've been talking a lot about consent lately. Mm-hmm. And I realized that like consent is actually a pretty popular, um, it's one of the best things I can do to get couples talking a little bit more about sexuality is like talking about, well, what can you consent to even now? You know, like, are you interested in maybe making out? Like sometimes people feel like in order to have sex, they have to do the whole thing yeah. and whatever it's, whatever that routine is that they have. Right. So like, I always say American sex is like, you kiss a little bit, you touch a little bit you do a little bit of oral sex and then one person penetrates in the other person and you keep doing that until one person comes. And if the other person does it, well, okay, hopefully it worked out, (laughs) but it's not a guarantee. (laughs) Now that's American heterosexual sex, of course, um, because we do want to be inclusive, but uh, that model is pretty uh, pervasive here in America. And so for um, people who want to step outside of that model, they really have to have a lot of conversation about like what sex going to be. And that might be why you see in those uh, more, uh, you know, homosexual couples and couples who are a little bit outside of that heterosexual box, they do talk a little more about what matters to them and what they like. And, and, they talk about like, and I think those conversations are like consent conversations where yeah. they're discussing things like, well, would you like this? Would you be okay with this? Would, what if we try, I don't know, sex toys or something like that. And the more that they talk like that, it is that they are kind of developing a trust with 
trying those new things. Whereas couples who don't talk, they kind of just hope for the best and, and I think, get in the bed. <laughs> I mean, I think they're, and I think they're often very shocked um, when they wake up and realize, for example, some couples who realize that they're sexually incompatible. And, yeah. and, and I, I mean, I've had people say to me, well, how did I not know that? And I said, well, you know, at the beginning, everything felt good because you were halfway there before the other person touched you because you, you were in, in love and you were so excited. Yeah, and you're so, thinking ahead. Yeah, so you, you took yourself through the experience. You turned yourself on. And it really actually had very little to do with your partner. And because you guys didn't discuss it, you never discovered that you don't actually like the same things. Mm-hmm. Which is well, or I think it's wildly different drives. Well, I think that's important. That one thing you just said is super important is that, I mean, some of desire and drive comes from the things you do individually to get yourself there, right? So, like, um, I think people don't realize how they naturally do that. That, like, well, for example, like, think of when you were first dating somebody. One of the things that you do is you think about what you're going to wear for the date night. You even think about your underwear, right? Like, am I going to wear that cute panty set or am I going to wear the nice boxers, right? You don't pick your holy ones. <laughs> Cause that's about as good as guys do, right? They just put like boxers on that are not holy. <laughs> I'm like teasing. There's plenty of guys that are outside of that norm, but anyhow, um, you know, like, so you think about that and you think about what you're going to wear and you put cologne on or like, I remember even dating and putting cologne in certain areas, like hopefully you'll kiss me here tonight, but that's me getting my own brain going. And I think even um, outside of relationships, couples and individuals aren't thinking about themselves. Like who am I as a sexual person? They get into these relationships and they're like, Oh, sex is pretty good, but they don't necessarily know what it takes to build their own desire and interest in sex. And they don't know who they are sexually. And sometimes what I'll see is a couple will be together for a while. And then like 10 years down the road, they start to realize, Oh, I think I'm more kink or actually I would love to try poly. And I've, I don't know if my partner's down for that. <laughs> Have you noticed that too? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm, 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 I'm I remain amazed at how little people learn about themselves and how little time they spend actually exploring. And while I and while my experience is, is that people from alternative sexual communities know themselves better, they don't necessarily know themselves really well. But we don't encourage that. Um, and societally, and it's no different in Europe, in my experience, than it is in America. We don't... Uh, people don't know how to talk about sex and and they they don't feel they have permission to explore. Um, Mm -hmm. So they're clueless as to what they want. You know what, actually, I like that you mentioned permission because I've noticed in my sessions that that's almost like, that's the first thing that gets them talking is that you have to kind of give them permission to open up and say, like for a lot of women I've worked with, I've, I've had to give them permission to be a sexual person. So, you know, you're okay. It's okay for you to like sex. It's normal. And many women have never been told that or never been allowed a space for that. And so to have another woman tell them that I think is very empowering and to be able to talk with somebody and not feel ashamed or like yep. you're in trouble in some way. It's odd how our cultures do that with sex. And it's not that I'm saying we have to talk about it 24-7 or anything, but like even that it could be just a casual conversation in a relationship when you want to have sex with a person. I think that'd be a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think I think what's what's often so sad is that people don't realize how many people 
are like them. So they have a desire. Somebody has a desire for a spanking and thinks, oh my God, I'm so weird. I'm terribly kinky. And if I bring this up to my partner, they're going to reject me and don't realize that, you know, 20 to 50% of the population list that as one of their desires when you do surveys varying depending on the research. So it's, it's this whole kind of we're, I think particularly for women and depending on the community, the more religious community, the more puritanical the community, the more this is, you know, that you're not supposed to like sex. You're not supposed to want sex, but you are supposed to please your man. Oh yes, absolutely. So let's not like throw that out. <laughs> You're supposed to please your man, but but you don't need to. You, I mean, there's still the, the the that that message. Your pleasure comes from pleasing someone else. When in the, a lot of times your pleasure comes from having selfish desires. Selfish that that could be an okay word. You have to know, like this is something I want. I want for me. I would find it nice if we did, you know, A, B, or C. If we spanked, I would like a spanking. <laughs> Can you do that for me to make me feel good? And I think when people are given permission to at least have desires, then they can start mm-hmm. to explore. Oh, what what do I actually like? And honestly. I mean, what's sexy? Most things that are sexy are taboo, you know, like, I mean, yeah, like there's a little bit of, I don't know, like, why do people like spankings? Well, because there's a little bit of, oh, I'm naughty. I'm not supposed to do this. That's inappropriate, but it's sexy is inappropriate. That's what makes it fun and exciting. Um, And I think even just helping people get comfortable with that is a part of how they can take their relationship to X-rated, you know. (laughs) <laughs> Again, move and move it forward and actually expand. Also, the knowledge that um, sexuality is not static. Absolutely. That, you know, people think we used to think it was very binary. You're straight, you're gay. Then they, they're bisexual, nobody knew what to do with. Um, so, I mean, just get scared and, and put them in corners, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well, now the number of times as bisexual, I'm either I'm either greedy, I've been told, oh. or I, I I just am afraid to come out. I loved that one. That was fun. Oh, um, well, but the Kinsey, like the Kinsey reports, I kind of showed that people existed on a spectrum that yes. even, you know, even people who are kind of more on the homosexual side or the heterosexual side doesn't mean they can't have. Like they can't have moments where they consider other things. I mean, you see this, I see this a lot with women, like women will like affection from other women. Um, Maybe they don't want to necessarily have sex, but they are very affectionate with women. So there's something that draws them into that. Or you'll hear women say, oh, that woman is so beautiful. Or even on the male side, I've heard heterosexual men. I don't know who it was like Ron White. I think he joked. He said, every man's a little bit gay. I mean, you don't want to watch porn where um, there's like, you know, this guy with a flaccid penis, you want to rock hard dick. And it's funny, it's like, does that make, you know, I think everybody finds sex attractive, whether it's with a male or a female or even transsexual, it's sexy. Sex is sexy. Well, and I mean, I mean, it is movable. And, and not only is, not only is it a spectrum, but it changes over the lifespan for most people. Absolutely. And, and I think people need to know that too, that they can grow and develop over time. Yeah. And then they don't have to panic about it. Um, you know, you can identify as, as gay and you can be primarily gay and you can have a heterosexual experience that you enjoy. 
And that doesn't call into question your gayness. You don't need the gay (laughs) card for that. I mean, and, and, and the whole idea of the, the stuff that happens on the down low, you know, just because somebody has a homosexual experience and enjoys it does not mean that they're gay. That there's there's much and more. It's okay if they are. It's okay if you're anything. Indeed. And I think that's the big thing is if we as a culture can get a little more comfortable with all of the sexual spectrum and not make it such a big deal. Like it really doesn't matter what's going on in people's bedrooms. It's your business. Um, other than I want people to be educated and informed. I want people to find out who they are and what they want and what matters to them sexually and to be educated that life does change over time. And that's why people sometimes want to spice things up. I mean, to the title, right? X-rated. Why do people want to X-rate it? Well, because it gets boring over time in our relationships. You know, you get into these routines and part of making sex fun is changing things up, trying new things. I always talk to my couples about like, you know, some years you'll kind of take a bunny trail and you'll try something like maybe it's the sex toy year and you go to the sex store and you try all kinds of different sex toys. Um, And then sometimes you get kind of tired and it's like, all right, let's do something else. But maybe the next year is like the spanking year or the the bondage year where you're tying each other up and learning how all different ways to tie each other up. But if there can be an openness to exploring that and that even just people can know that it's okay for you to explore that and, and it's okay for you to explore it and not like something and bring it back. I think, you know, I want to know what you think about this, but I've noticed that like some people have this belief that once you've allowed something in the relationship that you can never take it back. And I don't think that's the case. I think people can try things and decide if it's good for them or not good for them. And it's perfectly fine to come back. But what, what's your take on that? Well, what I find interesting about that, it's the same thing that we have with problems with consent when we talk about date rape and, um, um, and, and sexual assault and rape within relationships and within marriage. It's like you've said yes to sex once, therefore they have a right to have sex. Yeah, it's like it's understood forever because you, because mm-hmm. you consented once. And, and I think that's how it is with anything you try that, mm-hmm. <laughs> excuse me, you, you try something, you like it. Fabulous. You try something, you don't really like it. You reevaluate, you think about it. You think actually that wasn't a lot of fun. Yeah. You have perfect right to say to your partner, you know what? I really didn't like that. And I don't want to do it again. There are also things that you might feel, well, you know, I didn't hate it, but I just didn't, (laughs) but I didn't love it. You know, it was just okay. Mm -hmm. But your partner thought it was amazing. So you can negotiate (laughs) that one and say, well, yeah, Yeah. I'll do that sometimes because I didn't hate it. I just wasn't totally into it. Um, And that really, you also have permission to say no just because you're not feeling well or to say no because the mood is wrong or to say no because you're really intoxicated and your partner wants to try something new and you're afraid. And so, you know, I always, I find how often people decide they're going to get Dutch courage and they're going to drink before they do something like pick up a belt and beat each other. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm a big fan of sober sex. I really think when people are trying new stuff, they need to have a clear mind. And honestly, in the trauma community, I've noticed that is very beneficial. Yeah. Um, so when I, by trauma community, I just mean anybody who's been either sexually assaulted yeah. or um, in any way, right? Then that's basically when you've had a sexual experience where you didn't consent to it, right? But so 
it's really important to be fully present mentally for sex. And I, it baffles me that people use alcohol as a way, often a way for them to be sexual. And I, I feel like that's not um, allowing yourself to be who, who you are as a sexual person. It's almost like, a, I don't know, it's a way of relaxing, sure. And I'm not against drinking for some people, but like, I don't think all sex should be associated with drinking. And I know quite a few people who that's, that's their only way to get into a sexual act. And that's concerning to me because I don't know how fully you can consent if you're drunk, you to can. be honest. No, you can't. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, I, I, I have some really strong views on this. I mean, legally, yeah, you cannot consent when you're in an altered, in that kind of an altered frame of mind. And makes sense um, to me. I, I feel quite strongly that it, um, for things like um, BDSM um, mm-hmm. activities, that sobriety is necessary for consent. Um, I agree. Certainly for that. That's part. pretty dangerous stuff too. You could yeah. go too far simply because you're not paying attention. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So, so in my worldview, I mean, if I were, if, if I were contracting to play with somebody um, and they were planning on drinking um, or taking drugs and then playing, uh, that would be for me a hard limit. I would never want to be involved in that because people think far more of their judgment in those situations than their, than their judgment actually is, you know, their judgment yeah. is, is actually far poorer. They're far more impulsive. The statistics are that, it, that the ability to pay attention is far decreased. So I, I do think that's dangerous, but I also think that's true. Even if you're not trying something dangerous, I think what you say is very important which is mm-hmm. the idea of actually being present with your partner. Yeah. It's not I've, about checking out. It's about checking in. Like I, I want people to feel their feelings. And part of having a good sexuality and desire is to notice what you're feeling as it's happening. You know, I heard this speak. I don't remember the speaker's name, but he said like orgasm is only like five to 10 seconds tops. And so like a big part of sex isn't even the orgasm. It's all the stuff you do up until that orgasm. And that's what takes it X-rated by the way. (laughs) Um, And so really, um, part of what makes it fun is noticing like when your partner kisses here, what are the nerve endings that fire off when you get kissed here versus here? Or or what nerve endings fire off when you kiss them with your lips? Your lips are full of nerve endings and they feel wonderful. And maybe you didn't know that if you kissed behind the knee that it kind of sends a jolt in your partner's system. Um, But you do have to be present because then you're missing some of the best parts of sex. Which, Which has to do with the connection. Yeah. Even and I and I also emphasize people think oh well then you know in relationships no even in casual sex even mm-hmm. in casual sex being present with that other person and making that connection is far more exciting and brings far more pleasure than actually checking out I do a lot of work with um, people who have been sexually traumatized um, in fact I was interviewed for Nikki Lee's show uh, this week I think it's airing um, to um, tomorrow no thursday um and it was about creating a um healthy sex life if you've suffered from sexual trauma mm-hmm. and substances become a real issue for people who have been traumatized on that level frequently substances are a way to try and manage intrusive memories and intrusive thoughts and calm anxieties um and unfortunately they really get in the way um of, of actually having healing sexual experiences. Oh, absolutely. Because when you're trauma, when you've had trauma in your past, the 
the only way I've learned to really teach women and men to re-experience their sexuality in a positive way post a trauma is for them to be consenting to every single thing they do. And so like, um, just to kind of do a breakdown, like sometimes when a person's been traumatized, they actually leave their brain a little bit. They dissociate. Mm -hmm. That's what that's called. And sex during dissociation is a type of non-consensual sex. It's a type of, I call it like a self-rape. And it's not that they're doing that on purpose, but they they leave their body when they're being triggered. And so what needs to happen is sex has to stop at that time. Whatever's happened, you have to stop and you have to come back into your body and you need a supportive partner who's willing to work with that and slow things down. And then you come back in and you re-consent to the sexual experience. And clients that I've helped to do that, to consent at every step of the way and to feel empowered through every step of the way have had very healing, very beautiful sexual experiences. And some of where I got that from was actually from the kink community because the kink community is great about consent. They do a lot to talk and contract and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to allow this. We want to make sure we're okay. Like when people are really committed to that kink community of, you know, sexual ethics, they, they, they're very helpful in helping people to have consensual sex that is very healing. Well, and I mean, I do think that part of that is is about that even when you do consent to something, and even if you haven't got sexual trauma in your history, things can get triggered. Yeah. Normal, everyday things can get triggered. You never know what's going to be triggered. And particularly if you're engaging in activities that are intense, and a lot of the kind of kink, kinky activities that people engage in, are, are very intense. There's a lot of energy. Um, there's a lot of, of, of very strong feelings and strong sensations. You're much more likely to get triggered. And so you have to have a plan as to what to do if that happens in the middle of something like that. So consent is, is something that is detailed quite. Well, and it's even, yeah, like in, in a situation like that, it's being able to say, hey, um, can we stop this for a bit? And as a partner, if your partner says, hey, I need to stop for a second. I need to figure things out. You need to do it. You need to stop. You can hold each other or like sit on the bed and talk. Um, I call that being a good friend. <laughs> like I think to be a good sexual partner, you also need to be a good friend. And a good friend, if somebody's hurting, doesn't just like push through it. They stop. They're like, hey, are you okay? What do we need to do? How can we be together on this? And that may mean that the whole experience stops. It may mean it stops for a time and then you go back to it. Um, It may be that you have a long conversation about why it triggered you and what's going on for you or what's going on in your life that may be making it difficult for you to even be present for the sexual experience currently. The more couples can do that, the better their sex life is and the easier it is to kind of like get out of the day-to-day bustle and grind and really be present for that sexual experience. Yeah. One of my favorite things is the um, cup of tea video, the British. I love that. That is like my favorite thing. Uh, And for people who haven't seen it, if you put on Google in the Google search bar, consent cup of tea, you will find at least one version of it. Um, I, uh, if you don't mind swearing, then just put it in like that and you'll get the one with all the swearing in it. There are clean versions. There's also now a version for kids that talks about this is me, this is my body. Um, and so it, it starts much further back. And the analogy is great. I mean, the idea is, and if so, you know, just because you made the cup of tea doesn't mean someone can't decide that they don't want to drink it. Mm-hmm. I always love, I love that. that. You know, it's, it's sort of, are you going to pour, you're going to pour it down their throat because 
you've gone to the trouble of making a cup of tea and they <laughs> decided that they don't want to drink it. it just, well, I just want to, I want to throw it out there too. Like, no, I agree. I love that video. Please watch it. It's so helpful in t- determining consent, but something else I try to teach my individuals to, to really love and value is even like that, the making of the cup of tea. I think people sometimes devalue all of the fun that is involved in making a cup of tea. And so let's put this back to sex. I mean, stirring desire. Sometimes it's okay to stir desire and it just be that like nobody has sex. (laughs) You don't, you don't even kiss. You just, you just talk about sexy things and learn about each other. And you've kind of made a sexual pot, but it's like, okay, that's it. We're going to leave it at that. And I, I think there's value in that too. I think a lot of my couples need to learn the value in enjoying um, creating a desire, but not feeling like there has to be pressure to perform because that's part of what makes the sex not fun. It's like, oh, I have to? No, I want to have sex because I want to, because I'm choosing to have sex, not because this is a requirement in any way. Mm-hmm. And, and also the anticipation. I mean, that's the other part of things is that we... I think culturally have lost a lot of that appreciation for anticipation because it's an immediate culture now. Um, you know, certainly when I was growing up, you, you didn't have things immediately on tap. You know, if I wanted to um, speak to somebody and I rang their phone and they weren't home, they weren't home. That was it. And then <laughs> you had to figure out something else to do. Right, I didn't get to speak with them. <laughs> And then eventually, if I wanted to speak with them, there was this thing called an answering machine (laughs) that suddenly arrived and I could leave a message. But there was no, you know, there was no cell phone or in the UK, we call them mobile phones that was attached to your ear 24 seven, where you could reach somebody in the bathroom, in the shower, you know, whatever they were doing, they were always available. There was none of that. If I wanted to watch... My favorite TV I think it's show. Valuable to talk about that too, like cell phones. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like that is taking away people's intimacy. Hold on, <laughs> it's as though um, people can't sit in a room together and just have a conversation. Do you see this happening with your clients too? <laughs> I'm, I'm for she's texting. She's showing hand positions of texting. <laughs> Why is everybody texting so much? And like, oh, okay. I mean, I'm big on sexting. I do tell couples, if you're going to do stuff, might as well take it to the next level if you're open to it. So sexting is one thing that is very fun that couples can share if they're both consenting to it. But I really think couples need time where they're just not connected to devices and they're talking and hanging out. And you'd be surprised how hard it is for me to convince a couple to like cuddle before bed without any devices. <laughs> it's pretty no, hard. No, I wouldn't. I mean, I, no, I wouldn't. I mean, I, I, people find it incredibly difficult, I think, to to sign out. Um, I think the younger generation finds it harder than um, some of the older folks who did live in a time where you were signed out. Um, but, but, it, but it's become kind of universal. And if you think about it, I don't know if you've ever had a day where you left your phone at home by accident. What kind of <laughs> what panic? Mm. <laughs> I know. Oh my God, people can't find me. You know, I can't. I can't log into Facebook. I can't. You know. So there's that, and then there's also wonder what you think about um, what people choose to share 
what do you mean? Like online or how they choose to invite other people into their relationship? Well, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of things on this, honestly. So it depends on if the couple is open about it or not, but I will say the internet has allowed us space for people to invite people into the relationship that weren't invited by the other person. So that's happening sometimes. And I think it's easier to do that. But the cool way of doing it, if you both are consenting, is there are all kinds of forums for how you can meet other people who are like-minded. So if you are interested in, say, wife swapping, uh, there are forums for people who want to share pictures and images of their wives, and they, they post them up online. And of course, like I found one of these a while back. It was like on Reddit. And it was all, even like the forum said, if you're going to do this, these are women who want to feel valued and loved. And so they said no comments that are negative. These are people who just want to share their bodies and they want to feel proud and confident of their wives. So they'll even cut things off if people aren't doing that. Um, but so the whole community is very like positive. They're, they're posting really sweet pictures, not always images of the face so people can feel safe. Um, but then people are commenting like, oh, she's so beautiful. And then people can do more than that. So in some ways, the internet has opened the door to people trying new kink related things um, and finding people and having a chance. Also, the cool thing about those forums is they give um, disclaimers too. like people will write stories like if you're going to try this, just know this, like beware that this could happen and think about this before you do it. And so in many ways, um, while we do tr- struggle to disconnect, I think that the internet can be a very positive way for people to explore their various kinks. What do you think? Um, I do think it's a positive way. I, I, I think I, I always worry about where people are getting information and what information they're getting. Um, and so I think it's great that there is information. I think it's great that there's community and connection because certainly um, prior to the internet, uh, if you did have a particular kink, it could be incredibly difficult to find someone who shared it. Um, also people felt, you know, unusual and alone. So to actually be able to connect with, you know, everybody who likes to wear women's underwear or everybody who, you know, likes to, um, role play pirates, Sure. You know, that's that's helpful. It's useful. You can get good information. I do think that there is cautionary area to this because you can also get a lot of bad information. And particularly with some kinks that are um, more dangerous, like breath play, for example. If you're going to engage in something like that, you really need very good knowledge preferably expert knowledge of anatomy and physiology to actually adequately assess the risk that you are taking. And you need to know the different ways that will lower risk. And you have to acknowledge that no matter how safe you try to make it, Mm -hmm. this is not a safe activity. And I think that sometimes there's a tendency to gloss over that, that part of it. And so people will, think, you know, they'll be being reassured by, oh, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Because the person has very little knowledge, has set themselves up as an expert, and there's no real talking through of the risks. And sometimes let's talk. Hmm? I wanted to talk about like one good example of this that's really common is anal sex. 
Yeah. So a lot of people are interested in trying anal sex, but there are very, there are very real risks to anal sex. It's a tighter hole. There's no natural lubrication back there. Um, and so I think it is very important for people to be educated and to read as much as they can, preferably even on doctor sites, you know, medical sites, so they can learn a little bit. But I know in my seminars, a big part of what I, I try to incorporate is the medical perspective. So like if people want to try anal sex, it's perfectly fine, but absolutely lubricate as much as you can. Um, you probably don't start with that. Usually it's better to try other things and loosen up the area and then you try things. And even when you first try it, you start small and you work your way up to bigger things. But if people just want to try anal and they don't have any education about some of those risks, then they could kind of puncture the area and it'd be very dangerous and you shouldn't put everything up there. It kind of sucks things up. So that, that's why um, the anal toys usually have a little flat back because they know that the anus sucks things in. and that way then, you know, you're not like sucking anything up in there. Um, no, I think it's really important for people. What's that? And ending up at the hospital emergency room, giving the staff a good laugh. <laughs> yeah, right. It's Well, I mean, it sucks. It sucks if that happens because I know they're just trying something sexual and it's fine to try new things. But absolutely, you need to know what the risks are when you do something. And that other one, you know, like the choking, that's scary. There's plenty of examples where people have died because they weren't... Um, you know, you're not, you're not, it's not doctors always doing this here, you know, it's just people, everyday people trying to do sexual things. Well, and particularly with choking, um, you know, it doesn't take very much to kill somebody. Mm -hmm. If you hit, you know, certain things in the wrong way, it takes very little. And so I mean, that and anal sex, I think, is also a great example of something that is considered quite... Um, an ordinary sexual act these days. It's um, more common for people to try. Yeah, much more common for people to try, but actually it's got a whole set of risks. And mm -hmm. and also I think, you know, if somebody has a bad experience with it mm -hmm. once, they can find it very difficult to approach it and try it again. And it actually can be incredibly pleasurable. So it's quite oh, sad yeah. to me when a couple have like tried something like that with little knowledge and, you know, either... Uh, you either get an anal tear or just, you know, really, really, really bad cramping and feel awful. And then, you know, oh, well, that's not for us. We never want to try that again. And they, they miss out on something but just because they weren't educated prior to actually trying. Well, and I think this goes back to our conversation from before, which is that I think couples need to be having consensual conversations throughout their lives about different things they're trying. And it doesn't have to be like, you know, you're sitting here with a contract. What are we going to do? Are we going to do this or that? Nope, this isn't okay. No, it's not necessarily like that, but it's just conversations like, okay, um, I am interested in anal, but I, what's it like? I mean, should we learn some things? What do you know about anal sex? Well, I don't know. I've never tried it. Let's research it. And so then as a couple, maybe you go to websites and look about it. And it's like, well, this person said you do it this way, but this person says don't do this. And yes, there's some misinformation, but I'd rather have a couple sifting through like 50 different pieces of information online, exploring, learning, educating themselves, rather than just like saying one night, you know, let's try anal and then going in it and they have you know, like they just go right in. They don't even think of lubrication or like maybe condoms if they want that. And then it's a bad experience. I think people should have regular conversations so that they know consciously what they're getting into and 
and they're educated about it. So it can be a good experience because there are things out there. Honestly, how I learned about anal sex was through real sex. Those old shows on HBO, there was a whole episode about if you want to try this, here's a positive way to do it. So it doesn't hurt. And I was like, huh, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> and so there's plenty of stuff out there that will help people learn. <laughs> yes, most definitely. And there are classes too. Mm-hmm. And people need to develop relationships with their healthcare professionals, which is another Absolutely. area, so that they can actually go in and ask questions and not be greeted by judgment. Mm-hmm. And I think it helps to know sex toy operators, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> or like, you know, the stores. If you go into a sex toy shop, they're very usually very open to telling you a little bit about the toys. So I think people should have a few of those people in their belts as well. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, if you're in the UK, um, uh, Shh, which is the a women's sex toy store in London, which is fantastic place. Um, they're all very knowledgeable. They run a sex advice blog, and and it, oh, you, wow. you can anonymously ask questions. But if you go in the shop, you can also have conversations. Mm-hmm. And and everybody who works in that team is really sensitive. Um, and and really very matter of fact and willing to answer questions. There's no shaming there, um, and I and I think that is important. I think it I think it's really important that y- you create those relationships as well. So if things don't go very well, sometimes you need more than looking things up on the internet. You might actually need somebody to help intervene. So yeah, if, so you can talk to people. <laughs> if people want to find you and work with you, where do they find you? Well, so I, I am located in St. Louis, Missouri, in the United States. Um, my website is www.therapistinstlouis.com. Pretty simple. Um, so, yeah, you can go to my website and learn all about me. Um, and, I, you know, in addition to doing therapy, I run seminars. I have an annual sex, wine, and chocolate seminar in which I answer questions anonymously. So clients can write on index cards their anonymous questions, and I answer them for the public. Um, so yeah, go to my website and I'm also on radio shows and all over. I have a YouTube channel as well. (laughs) So I'm, um, the link to your website, your Facebook link, your Twitter link and your YouTube channel link, um, are on the, it's not a, it's not a complete transcript. It's the write up that goes with this podcast. Um, if, if anybody wants to grab them and I noted that you said that it would be good for people to join the YouTube channel to subscribe because you do answer a lot of questions there um, and that people can kind of submit information to you and you'll, and you'll address it. Oh yeah. I love it. Please feel free to email me or even like, if you like my Facebook page, suggest questions for me to cover. I try to cover a different um, topic every week, either in my podcast or on my YouTube channel. And we're always looking for new topic ideas. So absolutely. Even if you just want to submit, can you talk about this? I will do so. Brilliant. Well, I'd like to thank you so much for joining me. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. And thanks for joining me this week for the A to Z of Sex. Do write in with your questions to Dr. Lori Beth at A to Z of Sex.com. That's A T O Z for the Americans, O F S E X.com. And visit both websites, www.a to Z of Sex.com and www.the-intimacy-coach.com to learn about alternative sexual choices, types of sexual relationships, and to learn to sizzle and create that ideal, lasting, intimate relationship. For a free 30-minute session with me, do head over to www.a-to-z-of-sex.com. 
and click on the button that says book now. Please join me next week when the letter will be Y and Y is for yummy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the A to Z of sex. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review here on iTunes and make sure you head over to www.atozofsex.com. That's A-T-O-Z-O-F-S-E-X. To subscribe to my free newsletter to help you keep your sex life sizzling. Stay tuned for upcoming weekly episodes as we work our way through the sexual alphabet to discover the wide world of sex, sexuality, desire, and intimacy. Knowledge gives you the power to create relationships that bring you satisfaction and joy. Hope to see you next week.